Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Scenic UK podcast. Joining me, of course, is Rich Trenholm. Hello. And we are doing a special presentation all about the new movie, Alita Battle Angel. Isn't Alita that right? Alita Battle Angel. So what is this? Right. Uh, it's a new sci-fi epic. Uh, it's a uh, it's, it's a about, film, right? It's a film. It's about an amnesiac cyborg. Uh, it's based on the '90s manga and anime, uh, and it's about uh, it's about this uh, this kind of this cyborg who who wakes up on a on a scrap heap and she doesn't know who she is. Like Wally, and, uh, a little bit like Wally. It's oh, my, oh well, actually, it is. It's Wally. I never even thought of that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, she wakes up on this scrap heap. She doesn't know who she is. She gets given a new body, and then she has to find herself in this new world where she kind of uh, uncovers these sort of terrible uh, plots and stuff, and people. Are trying to get hold of her and because she has the key to uh, maybe the past and the future it's just live uh, action stuff. sounds like it's going to be very effects it's extremely effects but yeah I mean it's so focused. it's one of those films that's like nowadays you know they say live action right and when you look at stuff like the jungle book or the new lion king and all that kind of stuff they call it live action but actually it's not really live action um, it has real actors in it but pretty much all of it is kind of computer generated and animated okay so technically I think what you should probably call it is photo realistic it's kind of like ready player one which I watched recently and mm -hmm. I quite liked um, in that there are elements where there are real people in it but for yeah. the most part it's it is a CGI. It's, it's quite similar to that. It's, uh, there's, I mean, we're going to hear a bit more about this uh, shortly, but there's a lot of performance capture in it, and that means there's a lot of like really out there, crazy character designs played by you know interesting famous actors, uh, but with like their faces on these really out there bodies, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, but uh, so it's from the minds of James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez. James Cameron wrote the script. He of course needs uh, no introduction. But I mean, I mean, maybe I should anyway. Uh, he's the guy who uh, he's the guy behind the Terminator movies and Titanic and uh, and Avatar and many more. Uh, but right now he's so busy developing a million sequels to Avatar that he, he had to hand over the reins of Alita to Robert Rodriguez. And he, of course, is the guy behind uh, From Dust Till Dawn and Desperado and Planet Terror and the Spy Kids movies. None of which I've seen. Many more. No, well, I mean, if it's not Men in Black movie, then, then what's I'd the point? I'd have said I've watched Ready Player One. I, was quite, I also watched the new Tomb Raider flick on Netflix. Oh, that's pretty awful, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was terrible. So we sat down with Robert Rodriguez and producer John Landau, and he's the guy who produced Titanic and he's producing the Avatars and now Alita. Uh, to find out a bit more about how this collaboration came about and what makes Alita so special. Right, uh, Robert and John, thanks for thanks for joining us today to talk about Alita Battle Angel. Um, so, uh, tell us a bit about uh, sort of briefly um, what this movie sort of is and how it came about. Well, we discovered uh, Alita Battle Angel when it was introduced to us by Guillermo del Toro. Okay, um, he brought brought it to us in 1999, and. Jim and I both fell in love with it. Jim in particular, who actually identified it as a movie that he wanted to direct. He saw a female character that he so has such a strong affinity for, uh, and a story that he felt was important to tell for young people, not just young women, uh, a story of uh, self-discovery and self-empowerment. And once we started doing Avatar, we realized that Jim would not be able to direct Alita for a long time. And we started looking for a director. We talked to a couple of different directors, but it wasn't the right person to parent our child with. And then Jim and Robert had a lunch together. Yeah, I had a lunch with him. I've known him since before Desperado, so we would catch up every once in a while. And we'd actually try to direct a couple of things together once before. And um, this was not to look for a project together or anything. I was actually... I had a, a director's chair show where I interviewed directors. I, I went to talk to him about that. And uh, he showed me a bunch of art for the new avatars. 
and revealed that he would probably be spanking those for the rest of his career. And um, so I asked, well, what happens to Battle Angel? I'd heard about this for years. I kept thinking this was, oh, no, I'm not going to have a chance to meet it. So I went and um, was about to leave, and he said, do you want to check out some of it? And I was like, wow, I remember, I didn't know he had done that much work. He had an art reel, several scripts, and we watched the art reel. Now, his art reel is a collection of his art with voiceover and music. I had seen a version of that for Avatar way before he made the movie, just as a way to communicate what the movie is. He had that for Alita, so he did a lot of work on it. And uh, he said, here, go take open the script and read it if you want. See, 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 see what you think. You know, go direct it, just see what you think. And I was blown away by the script. It was a script that he had written. He never cut it down. It was almost 200 pages. And you could see the whole movie. I mean, he's so descriptive. And you could picture his version of it just from reading it. It's like you watch the movie. And so I said, I think, I think it's all in there. I think it just needs to be cut down. So let me try it. And just for free. You don't have to pay me. I just, I just want to see if it's possible. I might not be able to get five pages out. But I got 60 pages out without sacrificing any of the character stuff. I knew, knowing him, I knew that's what he would care about most. Some people think that he's the spectacle part, but it's like, no, nah, that's the last thing he wants in there. He wants the character stuff first. And, um, and he was impressed with that. So he said, and let's take it to Fox and see what they And what say. Robert said to us when he went to work on the script, he said, I'm not going to rewrite this. He said, because you don't rewrite Jim Cameron. <laughs> he said, I'm going to edit it. He said, this is like you know, a, a publishing situation where it's all there. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to surgically. And when we got it back and we reread it, we didn't miss any of the heart that was in Jim's script. We didn't miss you know, the character stuff that was there. He got rid of fodder. <laughs> and um, that, that sent us on the path. Okay. So it was a good lunch then in that case. <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. In fact, just now we went and had another lunch. And we yeah. said, okay, let's pick up where we left off four years ago. That director's chair show, can we do that? <laughs> That's what originally I came here for. Then we got sidetracked and went and made a movie. Made a movie yeah. well, so, uh, so when you came, sort of were editing it and then you sort of went to direct it as well, like what did you, did you bring much of yourself to it or were you still kind of trying? Well, you have, to, you have to figure out how to do it. And so you end up putting a lot of yourself in anyway. I mean, you hand the very same script to three different directors. You'll get three different movies. So um, I know that that just kind of happened. So... I, I tried to just get as much information from him on how he would do it. I wanted to see the Jim Cameron version of that. Just like when I made Sin City, I didn't just take the book and then go make my own movie. Um, you could do that, but I really wanted to give that version its chance in court. You know, I wanted to shoot it like the thing that I enjoyed very much. That, that gave me the vision, which was a vision that Jim Cameron had. So you can't help but have yourself in it, and you have to figure out a lot of stuff. You have to cast it, you have to do the day by day. There's plenty to do, believe me. But I wanted it at the end of the day for him to see it and go, wow, when did I make this? <laughs> you know, so I wanted it to feel like a lost camera film. You know, Rob, okay. Robert is a film aficionado. He talked about his director's chair series. He, Robert has studied film, you know, for his whole career. And he said to us when he made Sin City, he made a Frank Miller style movie. He said, with Alita, I want to make a Jim Cameron style movie. Mm -hmm. Now, you look at Sin City, it's as much Robert as it could possibly yeah, yeah, be Frank Miller. No, it's that same type of thing. It's, it's bringing that sensibility, but making it his own. And also, I mean, it's just a f certain sort of just philosophy when I make a movie that I just have as a default. And you don't want to do that all the time. That's what's fun about working with other people. You get out of that. For me, just a perfect example is I'm more whimsy and fantasy. 
because I started as a cartoonist and I don't have very much money on my movies, so I can't afford like hardcore reality. And so, and I'm really not interested in it. So a guy picks up a guitar case and it fires a missile. I don't think the audience really needs to know how it works. I can fudge that. There are going to be the sticklers who go, wait a minute, how does that work? Jim's one of the guys who go, wait a minute, how does that work? You know, for him, science fiction needs to be science fact. It needs to be completely real for you to buy the fantasy. So that's why his movies are so grounded. So for this, I knew I can't do what I normally do. I can't just shoot this on green screen. I have to build real sets. Otherwise, everything's in effect. And then everything's like, you don't believe anything. Build real sets, shoot real locations, don't use green screen. That way, she has to... And the effects version of her has to be so real to blend in with everything else that it'll feel like it's really happening. And even the drama and everything like that, it won't be as whimsical, it won't be tongue-in-cheek, it won't be the usual fun stuff I like to do, kill that right away. And so that was a good exercise to do. That's really good to do. And that's more the style of Jim Cameron. And it's, and it's interesting, as you're making it, you're already going, this already feels like what I read, not like what I would go interpret it to be myself. Okay. And that's the movie I want to see because that's I, I wanted to see that movie since he first announced it. Right. And the only way it's gonna happen is if I go make it and I gotta make it with that hat on. Okay. So is this your most serious movie that you've made then? It's still a very fun movie, but <laughs> I don't know if it's serious, it's just more it's just more the, the attitude you have going in, which is believe in the drama of the story and play that first over having to worry about entertaining. I, I, in most of my movies to constantly be trying to entertain, and that can be really annoying. Like someone saying, "Are you having fun yet? Are you having fun yet?" You know, in Jim's movies, they suck you in and take over, and it's become overwhelming. And that's just how he builds them. I never knew how to do that. I knew like I would learn a lot about that by doing this. Another thing that was very different on this, I think, for, for you, Robert, was um, the the time we had to prep the movie, the time we had to post the movie. Other Robert's movies in the past had very short windows yeah. uh, for design, very short windows for post-production, and um, you know it, it gave Robert a much greater creative freedom to be able to take the time to, you know, you know, design one creature or character over six weeks instead of six in one week. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's a timeless quality to the film, and when you have the time to make it, you know, this is this is it. Once we're done, that has to last for all time. It, it can be one where you just go and shoot very fast, cut it, it's in the theater. It's a, it's a movie of the moment. But to make something that's timeless like they do, to stand up with those, you, you have to take that time. Has this kind of spoiled you now? Will you, will you be able to kind of go back to making movies quickly or is you, are you always going to need this much time now? Oh, I just made another movie for $7,000. <laughs> <laughs> Anniversary to Mariachi. Right. And we documented it. I had no crew. And so I like both. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're fun. There's something very immediate about taking half of this, what you got here, and going and shooting the whole feature in 14 days. And then doing something like this where the attention to detail is so great that I feel in this movie more than any that I was more like an audience member than a director on this one. Because as the effect shots were done and our crew built these things, I'd be like, when did we shoot that? I mean, I already recognize some of this stuff. It's so amazing and astonishing. And at a level that I never could have achieved on my own. That I, I have the glee of an I get to have the thrill of an audience member instead of just that I've been there, ah, I've seen this shot already of a, of a filmmaker. So it's been a real treat for me. Oh, that's cool. And talking about, about learning things, I mean, I remember seeing uh, the, the kind of behind the scenes videos that, you, that, you, that you've done, sort of showing the, the, the techniques and the and the, the advice that you've given to, to filmmakers. Like, did you learn anything on, on this on this new project? On this oh project? yeah, I mean, I learned that was the great thing. And you're going to go learn everything that Jim has 
has invented over the past you know, 15 years, these new technologies. He gave me a film school. I mean, I was very I was spoiled by that. I mean, right away, he's like, here, come to Lightstorm, and we'll go through my, my setup of how I did it. I want you to shoot a scene using my performance capture so you can see what tools are available to you, and you can see what I've innovated and see if it's useful to you. And it's not just me and him. It's like he's got a whole wedding team there. He's got like, I mean, I feel like, oh, no, this is all for me. Oh, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I've never felt like that before, you know, being taken care of that much and getting a real crash course in it. So you I shoot it, sh cut it, watch it, perform it, and then you know exactly what all the tools are, and then you could follow them to the movie and figure out, okay, this is the toolbox, this is what I'm going to use, this is what I'm going to use. Real locations, not all on this capture stage, but some of it, this part, this part. I mean, really just... This is full education. So Robert, who has certainly done visual effects in the past, had never done character performance mm -hmm. capture, certainly. And it was, you know, making him aware of the tools that we've been using on the first Avatar and that we we're planning on using on the sequels to Avatar, and then letting him make, make them his own so that he could direct Rosa Salazar in the moment. Because the commitment we make to our cast is that when they see their performance up on the screen through performance capture, it, they're going to see their performance. They're not going to see a visual effects company's interpretation of that or anything like that. So, you know, we, we tried to bring in people um, that Robert had not necessarily worked with before, but they were experts in their field, whether it's Wet and Digital, mm -hmm. whether it's Richie Bainham, whether it's, you know, these other people, and, and give Robert that opportunity to, to be their leader and to be the person who, he gives them their vision, but they have the experience to bring to Robert. Okay. And so what's kind of um, new or unique about, about this, this film that we haven't seen before, even if it's something like the technical behind the scenes that people wouldn't necessarily see? Well, you know, what, what I think is, is very unique is um, there's never been a performance capture character who has been realized with such performance detail and photographic detail. With what, a human face. A human face. Yeah, yeah. When you're making a movie like uh, Avatar, um, wet a digital from a performance standpoint can hide behind blue skin in a fantasy world. When wet a digital is doing a movie like the Apes movies, they can hide behind a, an ape's face and fur. There's no hiding with Alita. She is all there. And to be able to bring out a performance at a photographic level that can sit right next to Christoph Waltz or, or Mahershala Ali or Jennifer Connelly or, or be kissed by Kean Johnson, that is a challenge. And not taking anything away from a movie like Jungle Book, but if you look at Jungle Book, they really had maybe two or three scenes with interaction between a human character and a CG character. One sitting on Baloo, a couple other touching of wolves. Here, every scene, there's interaction, there's contact. There's taking an orange out of someone's hand. There's holding hands. There's hugging. All of these things. That is a huge technical challenge that, that people don't think of when they watch the movie. Mm. It's, it becomes invisible, I guess. It, yeah. it does. Yeah, it does. I mean, and, and you really that, can't tell what's effect and what's not, and you're watching. And when I know, because I know, I'm like, I can't believe we got a huge close-up of that, and it looks so real. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, I think this is a case where technology makes you forget about technology. Mm. Because by the time you're, you know, a few minutes into the movie, you're not thinking about it. And at the end, you're definitely not thinking about it. You just, you just, she's real. She's interacting. You've seen her do all those natural human things without restriction to camera moves mm -hmm. and without restriction yeah. of performance. Like, let's get the right shot. And you guys have fun. 
and the the crew is just amazing. You know, I just never seen that level. Of, you know, most of the time you see an effects movie, and they split up the shots among different houses to save time and money. And sometimes you'll get to a part in the movie where you go, "Wow, that was a great looking sequence," but it doesn't all look like that. This is all the way across the board. It becomes overwhelming how much it just works, and you feel like you're consistently in that world. Nothing pulls you out, and I've never seen that before. And that was the other thing I remember I noticed. Jim started. We very started very much the same. We were very scrappy filmmakers, but we always got along. You forget that about him because he's gone so far into innovating technologies and making these stunning films that you can only realize in visual effects. But I used to wonder, I wonder if he's just going to do those. And then now I've seen this one, I could see why he, he enjoys doing those because you really can create worlds you'll never visit except in your dreams. You'll never see these shots. It's not something you can just go out the street and shoot. You have to make everything. And it's when you have that kind of ability, you want to just imagine new worlds. That's why he just went and created his own, his own system, his own planetary system, because you can, and now you can go create your world and then make stories within that world. Sure, so he, sure. he figured that out long ago. He was always way ahead of everybody right. <laughs> in that way. So you want to you go work with somebody like that to get a sense of, how do you even craft a story like that? How do you build out the world vision? And I got to see behind the curtain and, mm. and learn. doesn't mean I can go do it on my own now, but I now at least now know. I, I had no idea before. And, and I think ultimately, you know, what Jim's about, what Lightstrom's about, is uh, using technology to allow you to tell stories that could not otherwise be told. Mm. We couldn't have told Alita, but for the technology that exists. We're not sitting there creating a, a piece of content to go after a technology. We're finding technology that speaks to us that we believe will speak to an audience, and then we're finding the technology that enables it. So when we started shooting, we didn't have the technology. We had to build it in right. post, basically, what you were asking. And if you think about it, it's 2018 now, yeah. He was ready to make this in 2005. I mean, he's always pushed the envelope before anyone's ready because he knows they'll never be ready for what I got. So we just got to do it and they're going to have to figure it out as we do it. We, we need to be the impetus for change. Yeah. Um, and, if you, and if you look, you know, at, at Jim's career, and I'm going to include, you know, Alita in this, you know, um, what he did with The Abyss, which was really the first time where computer-generated effects were used on a film for the pseudopod. He wrote that scene into The Abyss because he already knew about Terminator 2. And he knew if he couldn't do that scene, he could never do Terminator 2. But if he couldn't do it, he could take it out of the abyss and the abyss would still work. Well, it proved itself. He then did Terminator 2. When we were doing Titanic, we, and, and by the way, Terminator 2 then led to Jurassic Park and all these other things. Then we were doing Titanic and we brought the ship to life using, at the time, motion capture. We already knew about Avatar. We knew that we would need to do motion capture to make Avatar work. Well, Titanic and that, those type of technologies then enabled Lord of the Rings. And then we circled back with Avatar to push it. And Avatar, what we did, enabled Alita. But an Alita now is actually going to inform the, the Avatar sequels. Because what we're doing here is so far advanced to what we did on Avatar that it's going to change how we're doing the sequels. So what kind of big changes can we expect to see from, from the Avatar sequels? You know, again, I think it's just carrying forward what we've learned from Alita now, where um, we're going to be able to give you a, a much greater fidelity of a performance from Sam and Zoe and Kate Winslet, who's now in the movie, and really see them, and, and to deliver it at an unprecedented photographic level, where uh, fantasy 
uh, will play realer than ever. And why do people go to movies today? To escape the worlds they live in. And I think we're going to be able to truly transport them where they feel as if they're on another world. It's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned uh, photographic realism there. Do you think that uh, when we're seeing things like uh, Disney re remaking their, their animated movies as supposedly live action, but it's mostly CG, does the term live action even mean anything then? You know, I, I think that to me, live action means a movie that does not have visual effects. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I think, um, you know, we, we, to me, it's about combining those things. It's, it's combining it um, to give audiences something they can't get anywhere else that they can't get through television, they can't get through streaming. Only the big screen can really present where you're using visual effects. Um, and I don't look at um, you know, Jungle Book as an animated movie. It's what we would traditionally call a live-action movie, but it's mostly animated somehow, but it's photographic mm -hmm. animation. Um, and that's the distinction I make. The other distinction I make between animation and what we call live action is in animation, the voice is driven in a sound booth and the actor is not actually driving the performance of the character. An avatar, our actors are driving the choices that the computer-generated characters make. When you watch Planet of the Apes, Andy Serkis is driving those performances. So we tend to call those live action. Um, but th th they're really this combination. They're a hybrid uh, of technology that enables us to do really exciting things. Mm. Well, in, in, uh, in Elite, obviously, you've got the kind of the crazy cyborgs with all different shapes and sizes. And, and you talked about being on real sets and real performances and stuff. How, how, how much of that was kind of real and you know, the, the actors actually there on the, on the set? We have... You know, Jack Earl Haney walk into the bar that we built there in Austin. And even though he's going to be eight feet tall in the movie, he's there acting with everybody. He's in performance stilts, capture. Yeah. Um, we did have stilts, and we did have him just performing while we had a stunt double in stilts also for them to have an eyeline to. And, uh, and it was great. It was great to have everybody together. And, and Nisiana. now it looks like they're all there, you know, so it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah, Nisiana and, and Ed had, you know, uh, their real face and then some prosthetics and then the great suit and their whole bodies are replaced. And you can't tell. I mean, it looks like they're in this. Nisiana is the one that the, in the scene you saw where she's in the she red coat and, and she reveals herself. <laughs> and she, but she's actually there giving that performance, leaning down to Kristoff and, and, and doing all that stuff. Um, and, and you can't tell where the, the seam is, where, what's real, what's not real. It's, it's all one reality. And I think that's an important aspect, too, of a movie. And I think Robert's done a phenomenal job of that, that movies need to introduce audience to their own reality, the movie's reality, and then be consistent with that throughout. So Alita is uh, produced by Lightstorm, which is a company that James Cameron founded, and they're also working on the uh, the Avatar sequels. So in some ways, uh, with, in, with Alita's kind of cutting-edge CG and, and the CG characters and the high-tech 3D, you can all sort of see this as a little bit of a, of a teaser, maybe a taster for the Avatar movies. With Avatar, though, yeah. when because that came out like 10 years ago. 10 years, 10 2009, years ago. 10 years this year. And that was really almost like the the flagship piece to show off 3D mm. cinema. Yeah. It was all about 3D and it was mm -hmm. like, this This is the best way to see it. It was all shot, I believe, 
for 3D using like the two lens system rather yeah, than I mean, being James done Cameron digitally. Yeah, I mean, James Cameron basically like, uh, the, one of the reasons Avatar took a long time to make is that James Cameron kind of reinvented how you uh, how you film with 3D, how you film, how you uh, how you shoot it, how you uh, how you d- uh, distribute it, how you project it. Yeah. Um, so like the whole kind of end-to-end process of making a 3D movie was uh, James Cameron was well into that and he, he's still bang into that. He is, um, but... but, but uh, the, is the, the rest of the world. Yeah, no one else really seems to be. And in fact, 3D cinema is, tends to be falling away a little bit. And certainly 3D TVs in the home, mm. thankfully, aren't really a thing anymore and aren't coming back anytime soon. Mm. Is, is there an equivalent of like, this is the new tech that they are really pushing for for like the next avatars or even for elita i mean obviously you've, you've we've mm. talked about and we've heard about the the, the face mapping and all mm. that stuff well they're, they're, yeah i mean they're still pretty keen on 3d the, the the thing is there's four avatar sequels coming out between 2020 and 2025 what? i mean have I, we had I, any yet? I, I, no there's not been a single yeah because avatar 2 and and the rest are coming out from uh, 2020 uh, and i i don't know if anybody in the world cares about avatar as much as james cameron apparently does but there you go um, isn't but, he too busy down that trench uh Oh, he's always off, like, yeah, look at the Titanic and stuff. But the um, the thing is, though, 3D, whatever you feel about it, it's you don't have to actually go and see it in 3D. It's kind of the icing on the cake. Um, and really the cleverness of this movie is the performance capture, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, we've kind of become used to performance capture and uh, CG characters with uh, people like Than, you know, characters like Thanos and the Planet mm. of the Apes movies and, you know, all, all the all the Marvel movies. Um, and, and this, but this is, uh, this kind of takes it to a next level. And it's, it's weird because it's almost something that audiences don't really notice. Um, now that we've we're used to CG characters, we perhaps wouldn't like notice that this is sort of uh, more technically advanced than other movies. But um, w- what this does kind of have, what Alita does have, is it's it's the amount of time that Alita the character spends on screen and the the way she interacts with the real actors um, is something that uh, is like pushing those those boundaries mm-hmm. of the uh, the the, uh, the CG technology. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's just like like I say, it's full of like um, crazy characters with kind of famous faces. On Jackie Earl Haley is in it. A um, bunch of other people, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, but ultimately, though, what we've got to remember though is it's the story uh, that's going to drive whether we engage with these characters or not. Yeah. Um, and you know, if a character is CG and they look really weird, like Thanos is purple, we'll still engage with them as a character if they have like some compelling stuff going on. If you look at Caesar in Planet of the Apes, particularly, um, or at Thanos, uh, the reason we feel we feel for those characters is they feel like real beings, right? They've got they've got hopes and fears yeah. and personality. It's actually, well written. Um, it's not just yeah. effects for the sake of effects. There's actually mm. something driving that connection exactly and you know that's what i think you know looking at the terminator movies and stuff you can kind of hope that that's what james cameron did uh that, that you know he can he can still provide so um you know we might we might sort of uh you know we might not be sure about who's going to go and see an avatar movie but they were like they, the first one was like the biggest movie in the world ever uh so uh, you know i'm sure there will be people interested in it and you know they will be cutting edge uh, effects technology no matter what and hopefully it'll be an- anchored to a good story as well but uh, yeah so let's hear a little bit more from uh, Robert and John yeah okay performance capture allows actors to play characters they could not otherwise play we're talking about Jack Earl Haley he could not play a nine foot tall hulking you know mobster he does in this Rosa Salazar could not play a much younger nimble you know, Alita, but for performance capture. And that's the exciting thing, that, that it, it's something that it replaces, it's the 21st century version of prosthetics. No longer does a, an actor need to sit through three hours, four hours of makeup. They can come out and they're playing a character that they couldn't otherwise play. We'll see. And the, um, uh, in terms of like the, uh, the, the performance capture, um, uh, 
how important is it to have everybody kind of there and talking to each other and, and they're on the set? Is, is there room for sort of like uh, ad-libs and improv or does it have to be kind of ruthlessly pre-planned? Oh no, there's more room for, for improv because they're just there. To, you're, you're not having to go, okay, now you have to match what she did over here. I mean, you're in the, you're in the moment. So you can have just the most loose scene and try it many different ways. And what's great about her, she's always being captured. So even if I'm filming the other actor's part, even if she's off camera, we can use that performance. It's amazing. So it's almost like there's always cameras on her. So you're getting twice the performances out of her that, that you can choose from. So if an act, she starts improvising with an actor, you don't have to go back and reshoot her because, oh, they changed how they did it. She's being captured. So it's, you have even more freedom to change it up, make it fresh, improvise something. How many kind of iterations of, of Alita's face did you go through? I mean, obviously the face is the hardest thing, the human face the hardest thing to do, and she's the main character. Were they kind of really making the eyes bigger and bigger and sort of playing with the size and all that kind of thing? Oh, we did it in the art stage, and then we did it after we got the capture. It was really a thing where nobody seemed worried at all that they had never done this before. I was like, wow, they just they know they're just going to figure it out. That's how you do it. You start doing some scenes, by the time you think you've got something that works, you know, it's very different. In, in, in anime, you can, you can cheat a lot. As an artist, I know you cheat. You design a face, and when you do a profile, you can design a different face for the profile. And then when you do this three-quarter, well, that doesn't work anymore, so I have to do this face. You have to have one size fit all. So sometimes you'll make something that might look good from a couple of angles, but then when you start going through a scene in certain lighting situations, and oh, you know what, well, we have to change the mouth. I mean, you have to, you have to keep going and rebuilding it. And it was just a process until you got done with the whole film. Sometimes you finish almost a bunch of shots and then you have to go back and it just upgrades all the other ones once you know some other new things that you've learned. But I would say there are three different phases of, of design. Yeah. Uh, one is in concept art form. And you go and you say, okay, we're, we're doing this and we have uh, Alita in absentia of a, of a cast member. And then we go, okay, Rose is playing the part. Let's adjust her in the concept art to incorporate Rose's characteristics. Okay, we like that look. Now, let's build the CGI model of that. And we look at a you know, relatively static CGI model and evolve all that, make the eyes bigger, make the mouth smaller, do the brow a little bit more. Yes, it looks like the concept art. Then we put it into shots. And it's not till we get to the shot stage that we can truly evaluate the choices we made. And as we're going through, there are a number of different times where we would go, okay, we've got to make a change to the mouth. We've got to make a change to the eyes, to the forehead. Boom, 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 boom. And that continued all the way through, you know, a well, well into a year into post-production. Okay. Was that a different experience for you to sort of work with this really long post-production? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, usually you had to just go, let's get it as good as we can, and then we just have to put it out. And that's kind of sometimes why I, I rely on him. And even this, I knew there was a safety net. Uh, she, there's a line I have in there that I can make sure we kept, just in case we didn't get as real as we hoped. It says, um, does it bother you that I'm not completely human? Seeing if she looks completely human, it still works. But if the effect of people are saying, I don't know, she still doesn't look human, we always have that line. Well, you don't have to worry. She looks completely human. That's smart. Or more, that's... more human than human sometimes. Yeah. Because that's... of the size of the eyes, you see so much of the soul coming through. You're, it, it feels almost more human. And we would never 
do CGI for 100% human character. Because we don't need to. We'll go cast the actress to play that part. But when you have this person who's a cyborg with slightly bigger eyes, with slightly smaller mouth, or a, a blue Navi, you, you need to do that. Okay, well, and so final question. Um, uh, you mentioned, obviously, you know, your early days of a, as, a, as a scrappy filmmaker. Uh, looking at the advances that have happened now, the visual effects that can do basically anything, mm -hmm. um, how, how would you sort of, would you have made El Mariachi differently if you were making it now? Like how would, uh, do those effects trickle down to sort of independent filmmakers or not? Gosh, that's hard to say. I just, I just literally made another movie for seven thousand that way. It's more like three thousand, right? Because the the cameras look amazing. I mean, they're looking at it. I can't believe it's stunning. You look at Mariachi. A lot of times, oh, it's like a seven thousand dollar movie. But here, you can't tell anymore. I mean, it looks incredible. Um, and the effects can be just really. I had to put in just kind of scrappy looking effects because it was looking too good. A little thing I did in Photoshop, a matte painting as a test. I went, you know, I'm just going to use that. Otherwise. You're not going to know there's even a matte painting, and this is a seven thousand dollar really, you know. So you can you can do incredible things with technology. But what happens is it comes down to the story you're telling, because anybody can pick up a camera now. So what makes how do you compete with the big move with a story? I mean, your story has to be better than someone else's. So it always comes back down to the storytelling. It's really democratized the process, and now it's about who's who's telling the best story, and. Uh, it's a you know it's a combination of truth and spectacle, and that's what Jim Cameron's movies have. His movies have a lot of character truth, and he brings on the spectacle, and that's why you enjoy the movie. And you know, I would say that my answer to that would be: I hope he wouldn't do anything differently, because <laughs> I think that Mariachi stands so well for what it is because of how it was made. And just because technology exists doesn't mean you should embrace it. And I'm gonna just talk about Titanic for a second. You know. Today, we could do the ship digitally. I don't know that we should, because there was something about the cast being there and walking on it. And when, when you see what Robert did with Mariachi, there's, there's a pureness to it that I would hope would never get lost. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, well, looking forward to seeing the film. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Alvin. Thank you. Appreciate it. Definitely exciting stuff, and I mm. think it would mean that I need to get a proper TV, because... When I, the only time, in mm. fact, I uh, have seen Avatar yeah. was when I was brutally hung over on a friend's sofa and they had like one of those, you know, 13 inch little mini TVs. Just uh, the way James Cameron intended. Yeah, exactly. So I got the full force of not 3D at all. In fact, <laughs> you know, because it was an old CRT thing, it wasn't even. HD. It was <laughs> well, uh, hopefully we'll be able to find a better screen for you to see uh, Alita Battle. Hopefully, yeah. My yeah. TV is a little better now, so good, I should, I should good. be okay. Glad to hear yeah. That. yeah. Uh, so when actually is it going to be coming? Uh, out? Alita Battle Angel. It comes out on sixth of February in the UK and fourteenth of February in the US. So uh, we get it first. If, if you're in Britain, you're lucky enough. Yeah, mm. we're lucky enough to get it first. Love it when that happens. Three D glory. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Cool. Um, I mean, I think that probably brings the show to a close in yep. that case. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, and Robert, of course, John. Thanks, yeah, thanks to those guys. I mean, I, I wasn't there for that, but, but thank you to them anyway. I may as well be polite. Well, thanks for coming in and doing this bit. You're welcome. This is the best bit. Yeah, this is yeah. always the best bit. Where um, can you find us on social? Where can you find us on social? Um, well, you can find me with at Battery HQ, you with at... At Rich Nightwell. At Rich with Nightwell, a with a K. CNET on uh, all your socials. Yeah, at CNET on all those. Or you can email the show of any of your questions with... Uh, we have an email address, and I the, the great thing about our email address is that I remember what it is. Mm. Like, critically, I do always remember what it is. It is, I believe, seen at UK podcast at cbsi.com. 
That sounds close enough. I think that's right, but maybe yeah. just use Twitter and Instagram instead. And don't forget to tell us how much you think we're great on iTunes and YouTube. Yeah, Thanks please leave your reviews. Um, I think normal service will be resumed next time. We are, of course, behind the scenes gearing up for both Mobile World Congress and the launch of the Samsung Galaxy S10. Very exciting stuff. So uh, probably next time will almost certainly be like a big mobile special again. Um, so those of you who are really into your films, probably won't join us next time but thanks for joining us this time at least all right then thanks a lot bye bye bye